I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We're we're picked where we deserve to be. When we've earned it, uh, we should be picked higher than that you know that being said if predictions were right we wouldn't even have to play the the games um you know my my second year i think we were picked first for no good reason i like where we're at and i if that puts a chip on our kids shoulders then that's a good thing we've taken a different approach this summer i mean coach frost for the last three years has, has been harping on us like we need to change this we can do this leadership needs to change here and we we're all like as players saying yeah we agree with that we need to change that but they were finally understanding we're the ones that need to change that. We're taking more of a player-led leadership this summer. And welcome here to this edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, back from Indianapolis. Fall camp beginning here over the weekend as Nebraska will open up practice first um, around the country as the Week Zero teams begin Friday. Uh, 25 practices, Robin, over 29 days um, is, is the setup for Nebraska as uh, they, they get ready for Illinois and you heard Scott Frost in Indianapolis really not even contesting the preseason poll where Nebraska's at. They're picked fifth in the West, but you know, really to me, I look at the West, it's Wisconsin and Iowa. They deserve to be one and two. No one's going to contest that. And, you know, three, four, and five is Northwestern, Minnesota, and Nebraska. And those two teams have beaten Nebraska um, last year, and they, they've, they deserve their spot. And, you know, for Coach Frost to say that, I, I think it says a lot where, where he's at here heading into the year. Yeah, and I guess it's, it's I guess, what's the point of even arguing that? First of all, it's just an unofficial media poll. So uh, it's anybody's guess, uh, really, once you get past that top two of the West Division standing. You can make a case for literally almost anyone outside of Illinois to be among those other you know two or three spots uh behind the, the the top of the list and so nebraska like i agree with what scott said i mean i think he said it perfectly it's like where, where are we are where we deserve to be and until nebraska proves otherwise that they can beat minnesota that they can beat northwestern they can beat iowa i mean that's that's where you're going to be viewed uh in the big 10 pecking order and so internally I know there's a lot of optimism. They have a defense that's going to keep them in every game. They have a fourth-year starting quarterback. They have more skilled uh, options at wide receiver and you know maybe at running back and an offensive line that Scott Frost is uh, as excited about uh, as any position group on the team. So the, the pieces all seem to be there for Nebraska to really surprise some people. But the reality is they haven't done anything yet, and they haven't done anything for three years. And until they actually – take that next step and prove themselves on the field when it matters, this is where Nebraska is going to be viewed from the conference perspective. Well, it just is a reality. The days of kind of getting the reputation bump are gone. And and there used to always be, you know what, Nebraska would be picked second or third in the West just off reputation. A couple years ago, they were picked first. Remember that? 2019. And a lot of that had to do with the 4-2 and finish where they took Iowa – to the ropes mm-hmm. and Ohio State down the stretch to the yep. ropes and yep. they returned everybody from that team and as we know it was somewhat fool's gold and I think we took for granted what Tanner Farmer and Gerald Foster and Luke Gifford and Stoltenberg and Ozigbo and Morgan those six guys were as much about that finish as anybody else on that roster um, and J.D. Spielman had a great year that year too and Martinez looked different and yeah I mean Martinez is still going to be if Nebraska succeeds this year and you know, let's just say they get to like an eight-win category, which would be a huge year mm-hmm. based on where they've been. Um, you know, I'm I'm sitting in kind of a seven and five camp. I think one of our users broke it down. When you look at this year, Robin, there are five games Nebraska has to win that they should win: Fordham, Buffalo, um, Michigan State, Illinois, and I believe Purdue. Those are the five, and then there are two that. No one, they're going to lose. Like people are just going to all pick them. Ohio State and Oklahoma. Right. Then you got the five games that are kind of the swing games. And can they win some of those games where coaching matters? Mm-hmm. You know, when they when they play Michigan and Iowa and Northwestern and Minnesota. I mean, those are those are going to be games where 
the coaching matters and Nebraska has to execute. And Trev Alberts talked about that. Uh, the details and the fine points have been just as much of a problem for Nebraska as anything. Well, and you look at all the games they've lost where Nebraska had every opportunity to win it and found one way after another to lose, whether it be turnovers or penalties or uh, broken down missed assignments on defense that allow for big plays or, or whatever it may be. Nebraska's been its own worst enemy for far too long, and until that changes, the story will remain the same. And yes, that comes down to coaching. That comes down to Scott Frost and this staff getting their players disciplined to a point where you're not committing a false start to open the game on first and ten. You know, to set yourself behind the chains before we even run a play, uh, where you're you know getting a first down and then fumbling the football or throwing the, to the wrong read where a receiver and the quarterback aren't on the same page. I mean, those are the types of things that as a coach, you have direct control over. Uh, I mean, you, you can do a lot of different things to fix those problems. And so you pair that with, you know, I think that they've come to that realization. I mean, they have said it time and again that, uh, you know, these simple mistakes that they continue to make, you know, they, they have to get solved. And I guess over spring ball, that was definitely points of emphasis above all else was correcting those types of issues. And if they can find a way to translate that uh, into fall Saturdays and, you know, they're going to have a chance, like I said, because their defense is good enough to keep them in almost every game on their schedule. Now there's going to be some offenses that are clearly going to be difficult, but in the, the majority of their games, that defense should put them in a position to win. And if they can find a way to stop beating themselves one way or another, they're going to have a chance to win some of those toss-up games that they've lost far too many of over the years. Well, and we saw the execution against Purdue, what they did in West Lafayette. That was one the best game they played all year, both all sides, special teams included. Yeah, special teams for sure. And then, you know, Rutgers in the second half. I mean, th- that was, you know, we, we saw glimpses of it, but yeah, I, I still go back to, I mean, the last year was defined by two games, Minnesota, Minnesota and Illinois. I mean, you win those two games like you're supposed to, the whole thing's different right now, the whole thing, but they didn't. And not only did they lose those games, I mean, they, they took huge steps back. So that's what they've got to get beyond this year. I mean, if they have moments where they just come out where they're not engaged, they're not prepared and they're fumbling the first play or, getting really costly false start penalties or holding calls, you know, then it's going to have this mentality of here we go again. And that's what they've got to get beyond this year. And Trev Alberts even talked about that at Big Ten Media Days. Yeah, and, you know, what goes along with that is sustaining success. I mean, you can't go and have a big win and then – I mean, how many times did we hear last year where guys were like feeling too good about themselves after one victory? I mean, I don't even know how that mentality even begins, but whatever is causing that, it has to stop. We you, back. You can't beat Purdue and then all of a sudden think you're the king of the West. I mean, that's what happened against Minnesota. They were rolling in thinking that they're going to play this team that had half their roster sidelined because of COVID, and Minnesota just came out and wanted it more. They they beat Nebraska just physically. Just and like the Penn State Punched win. them in the mouth, yes. And, and they lose to Illinois the next week. So, again, that's what it comes down to coaching. Like, how do you go through a week of practice and see signs of that sort of stuff happening and not do anything about it? I mean, I, I think this is something where top to bottom everyone needs to be dialed in every single day of every single week for this thing to take a step in the right direction because the margin for error is so slim with this team with this schedule with so much riding on this season and you can't have anybody you know one way or another either given up too early or feeling too good about yourself too early because uh literally you have to make sure that you win the championship every single week because every game is so critical and they've tried to get the team ready for this um long stretch i mean they, they i believe it's eight in a row without a buy mm-hmm. if i'm not mistaken because they they've moved their buy around so it's it's going to be a grind uh, the players got an entire week off they all got back into town um basically yesterday i think and the coaches got back in monday even frost gave the coaches kind of a vacation week just to recharge everybody to get ready for it so it's going to be big lots of other stuff going on as well conference realignment uh, coming up in our next segment, I'm going to bring in Tom Deanhart, mm-hmm. and he's going to share some insight of kind of where he thinks things are at. As you know, Tom was a he's with our Purdue rival site, but formerly with BTN and uh, Sporting News, so he has a lot of national contacts and, and people he deals with. And we'll get Tom's view on that. Then Robin and I are going to break down offensive and defensive storylines to watch heading into fall camp. That's all next here on this week's Husker Online Show. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. 
Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan now uh, pleased to be joined by good friend and colleague Tom Deanhard of Golden Black, formerly of Sporting News and the Big Ten Network.com, um, as we were both in Indy. Tom, and, you know, it, it was like when we were in Indy this last week, a lot was happening and it was just starting to happen, and now we kind of see what's happened with Oklahoma and Texas officially leaving the Big 12 Conference, um, you know, it, it, it's just been interesting to kind of follow this. And now I'm more interested, Tom, in your take on what do you think the Big 10 is going to do and what should they do in response to Oklahoma and Texas going to the SEC? I think they probably have to do something, Sean. Uh, I mean, you know, the SEC, the Big 10, are the, I guess, the Coke and the Pepsi of, uh, of college sports. And, and without a doubt, that move to add Oklahoma and Texas really puts the SEC in a, in a pretty good position moving forward on a lot of different levels. So, uh, yeah, what that plan is going to be, Sean, and we've seen a lot of speculation. I have. I'm sure you have as well. I'll be honest with you. I think the one uh, one idea that strikes me as the most interesting, the one that maybe would move the needle the most and, and check most of the boxes the Big Ten's concerned with would be to add, <clears throat> add four, the four Pac-12 schools in California. At USC, UCLA, Stanford, and Cal, um, all four of those schools are, are pretty heavy-duty academic schools, and uh, the athletic departments across the board are pretty strong as well. And Sean, uh, you know that 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 move would put the Big Ten from coast to coast, California to New Jersey and Maryland. And uh, I was talking to somebody associated with Big Ten TV when I was in Indianapolis, and. They were intrigued by that possibility of having having teams and uh, starting games in that Pacific time zone <clears throat> to fill that slot as well. So, um, to me, I think that would be a move that would be very, very interesting and, 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 and be a nice move to help counter what the SEC's done. That would be interesting. You'd literally be in Los Angeles, New York, and L.A. Or, or, or not Chicago, excuse me. So, I mean, you, San Francisco, too, which is huge. So, you mark in, and, you know, you're, you're fairly close in Washington, D.C., and, yep. you know, you're, you're fairly close to Boston still at that point. So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, intrigue with that, with that deal. I mean, and you think about this, though, the Rose Bowl is such a big part of the tradition, but is the Rose Bowl even going to be a factor? when you get to a 12-team playoff at that point, I mean, is there even going to really ever truly be a Rose Bowl that matches the Pac-12 versus the Big Ten when we get to this 12-team playoff, which, assumingly, Tom, I think, you know, the New Year's Six Bowl games will probably be quarterfinal and semifinal sites, and then there'll be a title site. I mean, if, I'm, I'm just speculating on how they will, yeah. will, will align this thing with the 12-team playoff. Yeah, we'll be interested to see what the Rose Bowl does. They're, they're so tied to tradition and history, Sean. And anytime I hear somebody use tradition and history as a reason to not do something, I just roll my eyes. And believe me, I love history and tradition as much as the next guy, but you can't let that get in the way of, of, of moving, moving forward and progress. And, and, and the Rose Bowl people are so tied to that parade, so tied to when that game starts. They want that sunset over the San Gabriel Mountains. As, at the start of the third quarter, I mean, they're so bound by tradition. It's been a real impediment to a lot of things over the years. And college football can't let the Rose Bowl continue to be a stick in the mud. They want to adhere to all their tradition. That's fine. I think the playoff people got to move move beyond that. If that's possible, I'm not sure. But it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that. I guess the granddaddy of them all moving forward here. But yeah, very interesting uh, how the structure is going to look and. Sean, somebody mentioned to me, I think I read a Pete Thamel story where he thinks now with all this sudden tumult and, and maybe conference realignment that that could maybe put the brakes on, on the college football playoff expansion occurring maybe just within the next two years. It may have to go through, I guess, the remainder of, 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 the, of the cycle uh, as far as the initial event goes uh, until all this 
all this conference stuff settles down, I don't know exactly what the playoff committee is looking at. I'll be interested, you know, you hear Kansas and Iowa State uh, as Big 12 schools because they're in the AAU, but my view is, you know, if, if the Big 10 takes those two and the SEC gets Oklahoma and Texas, I mean, it just seems like the ultimate bridesmaid prize there. You're not really getting any yeah. gain there. So I'm with you in that sense. If they're going to do something, the Big 10 has to do something. They can't just take Kansas and Iowa State and expect people to, to really tip their hat to the Big 10. I think both those, those – I mean, I like both those schools, but they just don't do much on Iowa State and Kansas. Um, Kansas, obviously, from a basketball standpoint, would be great. And I still think – I tell everybody this. I still think Kansas football um, could, be a, could be a pretty strong program, being the flagship university in their state. And um, uh, I think with the right coach, we saw what Mark Mangino could do there. I'm not saying Kansas could become a juggernaut, but I still think they could be as good as Iowa State, as good as Kansas State as good as Oklahoma State, and a lot of those other peripheral Big 12 schools. But, again, I, I don't think that's going to happen in the end. You know, Sean, it's not the Pac-12 move I was talking about, the only other move. I think that would excite people and maybe really counter what the SEC's done, and that is to go into the ACC, and if you could somehow get schools like North Carolina, Virginia, or even like a Georgia Tech, schools of that ilk, I think, would, would, would really raise some eyebrows and, and, and be a nice feather in the Big Ten's cap. But, again, anything is outside of, again, a Pac-12 move or an ACC move like that, I'm with you, Sean. I don't think adding leftover Big 12 schools is going to do it. Well, that grant of rights deal that runs through 2030, 2036 yeah, for the ACC, the ACC, I mean, are we yeah. – <laughs> how many people are going to be alive in 2036? I mean, that, that's a long time, that. uh, 15 years. And there's always a price that you can get out of these deals – but to me, the price would be probably pretty hefty to get an ACC team to break that agreement. Yeah, I guess that's why you have lawyers, right? And but even even having said that, it may be difficult for for an ACC ACC school to get out of it. And it's going to be interesting to see how quickly the Oklahoma and Texas get out of their deal with the Big Twelve, which I think runs through 2025. I think in the end, the SEC is probably going to get its way and. Those schools will be in the SEC in 2022. Maybe I'm wrong, but boy, it seems like that's the that's the direction a lot of people think it's going to go. It's going to happen pretty quickly there. So, yeah, you know, lawyers are going to start getting involved, Sean. And when you start talking millions and millions of dollars, a powerful television people like ESPN getting involved. I mean, uh, forces like that can have a tendency to maybe maybe make things happen that may, that may right now look impossible. You take away Texas and Oklahoma. Just think about this. Maybe what is your marquee piece of inventory left in the Big Tw- Big Twelve? I mean, is it Iowa State versus Oklahoma State? I mean, that that's what's scary when you talk about. Yeah. You take those two teams out of the Big Twelve. You take Nebraska out. You take Texas A and M out. You take Missouri and Colorado. I mean, the inventory just goes to hell. I mean, there's nothing left that's going to de- generate a television rating of over a million viewers been picked uh picked bone dry hasn't it now the one the one um idea i heard for the big 12 that sort of excited me was they're at eight schools now there's eight other schools out there i think you could get that could that could maybe make you the best of the rest sort of a type of a conference sean uh schools like san diego state boise state byu houston cincinnati memphis South Florida and, and Central Florida. I think if you could add those like those eight schools to the eight schools that are still in the Big 12, Sean, I think that's a pretty nice little configuration of 16 teams. And again, sort of a best of the rest conglomeration, if you will, that that maybe would help prop up the Big 12 moving forward here if they have to do something like that. And you look at the numbers, like an American conference team makes roughly $8 million a year. A Big 12 team makes, what, 35 to 38 a year in that range? If you're a Big 12 team, you got to come to the realization now that you're not going to be making 35 or 38 million anymore without Texas and Oklahoma, and you sure as hell don't want to be making nine million a year in the American. So you've got to find somewhere in between those numbers that you can make it work. I mean, because that's what it's going to come down to, in my opinion, is what will the dollar figure payouts be on each one of these moves, and whatever one delivers the best payouts, that's what the Big 12 teams are going to try to do. 
you know, maybe uh, maybe I saw another idea of Florida. We're going to end up at some point with four 16-team conferences, and um, that would give you, what, 64 schools, Sean, with Notre Dame mixed in there, I guess. And, and that sort of becomes your, your quote-unquote, I guess, major college football division, you know. Sounds like there's going to be a break away from the NCAA. Uh, but we're seeing we're seeing seismic change happen before our very eyes here. It's all being altered as we speak, and I'm really excited to see how this all turns out and what it looks like, Sean, in maybe a year or two. Well, you think about college football in the 80s and early 90s and 70s, there wasn't even a group of five football back then. I mean, it really was almost all power five football, I and mean, it's, it's kind of gone full circle back to what college football used to be um, if, if it goes that direction. I do miss it, I'll be honest with you. I, I guess as you get older, you get more nostalgic. And I was thinking about the old Big 8 the other day, how cool that was, um, just with that tight group of eight schools and uh, all the history they had in the Southwest Conference, of course, all the Texas schools in Arkansas, just a lot of fun. And, and there's a lot of provincial pride there. And, you know, with all this expansion, we've lost a lot of rivalries. And I, I remember being at the Sporting News in the early 2000s, they're doing a commemorative magazine on the, on the Nebraska-Oklahoma rivalry. Of course, they're going to play, I know, the next couple of years. But, I mean, there's, there's a generation now that's not even really been able to experience that. And uh, Texas, Texas, and m that may get renewed as well. But, but we could go on and on and see that Missouri, Nebraska, the Missouri, Kansas is another one. We can go on and on and find these rivalries that have been trashed. And to me, that's been, a, a, I guess, an unfortunate casualty a lot of this expansion we've seen. Well, Tom, it's going to be fun to follow. I'm sure we'll be talking a lot more here in the coming weeks. Uh, thanks again for taking some time here with us. Hey, I appreciate it. So it was good seeing you recently, buddy. All right. Well, much more to come. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N ads.com. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Thanks again to Tom Deanhart for joining us as... Gave some pretty good insight on where we're at with conference realignment and where the Big Ten's going to go. But now Rob and I are going to get you ready more for fall camp as practice opens here on Friday in Lincoln. Fan day was Thursday. And, you know, the first media access after practice will be on Monday, Rob. And so um, and that's typically how Frost has liked to have done it. You know, he, he typically likes to get, you know, three practices in before they let us in and just get going because there's just not a lot to talk about. But they flood it with players. We'll have, you know, 10 players the media day Thursday, and we had Big Ten media days as well. So we haven't been short on access. But offensive storylines, when you look at going into camp, let's start at quarterback. We know it's Martinez's team and, you know, just what he looks like. I'm, with him, I'm curious as kind of what he looks like, how lean and confident and poised he looks. But then a step further, that number two battle – I still tend to believe it's Heinrich Harburg. I don't know if they'll ever say that or how they'll go about it, uh, but just from the conversations I've had, I think that's that would be the number two if I were if I were a betting man. Well, and you're, we're basing this on very limited personal observations. I mean, there was the the open practice that they had, and then obviously the spring game, and just just from that, I mean, Heinrich looked better. I don't think there's any question about that. Just with his arm strength, his build, uh, you know, he he just had he looked the part. Uh, to, to me of what Nebraska is ultimately wanting in the future of their quarterback position. But uh, to layer on to that, I mean, just the, the rave reviews you're hearing about how far along he was uh, as an early enrollee, true freshman. Uh, I mean, compared to a guy in some others that, you know, had already been there for a year. I mean, there wasn't much of a gap in terms of grasping the offense and uh, just knowing what to do. And I think that says a lot about the ceiling Heinrich Harburg has. And so, you know, if you're going to, look ahead here, uh, whether it's next year or the year after, they're, they're going to have to usher in a new quarterback finally. And so why not get a jump on, you know, picking one of those guys. And if, if Harburg, you know, you think has a higher ceiling, might as well get him in the, in that position as the number two right now and, and let him go from there. And they've got to get through this year with Martinez. We all know that. I mean, if he goes down, it changes everything. And 
I'm not one that worries about it long term because I think the transfer portal, like you can always get a quarterback. Nebraska could have gotten a quarterback this year if they really wanted to, and they didn't um, because there just wasn't the right guy that would. I mean, Terry Wilson to me was like the optimal choice if they could have got him to come in. But why would a guy that took Kentucky to the Citrus Bowl essentially agree to come in and be Martinez's backup? You know, he's going to start at New Mexico instead. So. Um, they had to go no quarterback. That's fine. Uh, running back, Robin, when you look at that position, that to me is the biggest question on the team. No doubt. Marquis Step, what's he going to look like? Jock Hasiant, can he make himself a factor? And then Gabe Irvin, and then Marvin Scott, and Ramir Johnson, Sevian Morrison. Morrison. I mean, there's a lot there that we just don't have a feel for at all. And. <laughs> We talked about this in our positional previews. There's only going to be eight live to-the-ground tackling practices, new new practice rules, um, 25 fall camp practices. It's called the 898, eight full padded, nine half padded, eight helmets only, 898. Um, and it's 17 practices that you'll have either half pads or full pads on out of your 25. Normally, you'd be probably closer to 20 or 21, so they've cut that down a little bit. But that those eight to-the-ground practices will be really big for these running back evaluations. Well, I mean, just look at the the spring game as a kind of a, a condensed example of what this fall evaluation is consist of and how valuable those eight full-padded practices are going to be. You know, obviously in the spring game, there was no, no to-the-ground tackling for the first half. And as a result, you really couldn't take anything away from anything that happened in the run game, uh, you know, in the, the, the offensive line, defensive line, and any of that. But when they went to the second half, it was full tackling. And that's when you started to see flashes of guys like Marvin Scott, like Gabe Irvin, who were suddenly having to actually play real football. And to evaluate running backs, especially in a position battle that is this wide open, that's the only way you're going to know what you truly have. And the issue for Nebraska, maybe as much as anything else, going back over the past year, has been availability. None of these guys have been able to stay on the field long enough to get a true uh, gauge of, of where they are and how they stack up against one uh, against each other. Because, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, Savion Morrison missing all of last year, Marvin Scott seeing spot playing time, Ramir Johnson, uh, you know, being in and out, uh, they just haven't had guys on the field enough to have any idea what they're capable of over the course of a full season. And that continued in the spring where they bring in Marquis step. And then he gets like a handful of practices before he's out for the year with a pre- town with a foot injury, yeah, with a pre-existing foot injury. And then Ramir Johnson missed the bulk of the spring. Marvin Scott was in and out. And so you, you ended spring ball with two guys. Well, maybe three for with Scott included with Gabe Irvin and Yant as the two guys that were actually there, that were on the field practicing. And therefore they were considered some of the front runners to potentially win that starting job going into camp. So I think ultimately this position group is going to be defined by uh, durability and availability when all said and done. I think when you go back to a year ago, what was frustrating was there just wasn't really a sustainable plan B. No. And after um, Mills got hurt, the plan B became go back to Wandell Robinson, which led to Wandell Robinson leaving Lincoln and going to Kentucky because he didn't want to be the plan B running back like he was. And so that was the problem. They got to get away from that. And hopefully they have enough there. And I I know I think Ryan Hale probably has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. People are really questioning him in the room. And I I hope that carries over to how they practice um, with what they do. Well, we talk about the quarterback. I mean, what a lift off Adrian's shoulders it would be to not have to run the ball 20 times a game. I mean, that was, I mean, that was the only way Nebraska was moving the football on the ground was with the QB draw. And that is not sustainable. Third and eight, the third and eight play became Martinez. I mean, there, there's a reason Adrian's been getting hurt all the time. because he had to run too much. He needs to be a a thing you mix in to your running game. You need to have a legitimate, not just one bell cow, but, you know, a couple of them that you could sprinkle in there and do different things with where, you know, the, the QB run game is, is a singular part of your overall run game as opposed to being literally the, uh, the majority of what you're doing running the football. All right, wide receiver too. I mean, we I think agree that this is probably the most upgraded position on the team. Potentially, Samari Torrey seems like a slam dunk. I think we're all going to be a little cautious though because you know we thought Kenavai Noah was a slam dunk. Yes. We thought Marcus Fleming and Omar Manning was a slam dunk a year ago and, and didn't materialize. But I think there's something different about Torrey that he's proven it. Um, they say he's a draft pick already. So we'll you know what if he can give them what 
we think he can give them, along with Oliver Martin now fully in the system and maybe an engaged version of Omar Manning that's practicing with Xavier Betts, with Levi Falk, with Wyatt Lever. Will Nixon. Will Nixon. I mean, there's a lot there, and it it just needs to show up and be on the field where, you know, you go back to a year ago. I mean, they're trotting out, you know, Wyatt Lever, Cade Warner, and Wandell. Levi Falk. And Levi Falk. I mean, and those guys are solid role players, but that can't be your – they, they couldn't win with those guys as your front-line receivers. Yeah, those guys aren't going to change games. And so you look at what their top group, when we all project it's going to be Toure, Manning, and Martin right now – if those three can be what all three of those guys are capable of being, Nebraska's receiving core is going to be as good as there is in the conference, maybe next to Ohio State. And I, I mean, that sounds like, uh, you know, going a little over the top. A little homerish. I think it's legit <laughs> just because, I mean, you're talking about a bona fide uh, draft prospect in Samari Toure, who if he's able to replicate anything close to what he did at Montana here at Nebraska, I mean, you're talking about a potential day two pick. And then Omar Manning, I mean – I don't. I, I've been covering Nebraska football since 2002. You've been doing it a little before me. Maybe outside of Purify. Purify and maybe Quincy and Nunwa, physically, I have not seen a receiver look like Omar Manning. And it's just the size, the speed, the physicality, and just the game-changing element he brings, that's a weapon Nebraska's offense has not had. And if he can be what this, I mean, Scott Frost, when on the signing day, remember said, Omar Manning changes the dynamic of our offense. And if he can be on the field, he played four snaps last year. And obviously there's a lot of issues going on there uh, with, with injuries or, or whatever's going on with him personally. Uh, that's the big question for me. If he can stay on the field and be the type of player on a daily basis, they think he can be Nebraska's receiving core is going to take a huge step forward. All right. When we come back, we're going to shift the focus over to defense. You're listening here to the Husker online show. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Back here on the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett getting you ready for the start of fall camp as Nebraska opens up here Friday over the weekend as they are a week zero team. And they'll get this advantage, Robin, next year as well when they go to Ireland uh, to play Northwestern. So, I mean, it kind of worked pretty well. I mean, you get an extra bye week. Because it just depends on how the calendar falls. Sometimes you do get two buys, but that's only when there's an extra Saturday, just based on the way the calendar days fall on between Labor Day and Thanksgiving. And this year there's only 13 weeks. Some years there's 14 weeks, but this is a 13 year, 13 week year. But college football for Nebraska starts before Labor Day, so they get that extra bye week, and it's an advantage. I mean, I really think it's something Nebraska has to take advantage of. Um, by coming out of the gates early and then getting that second bye week. Yeah, I mean, obviously we've we've talked about what this Illinois game means for the course of the season, you know, so just going forward the rest of the year. But I mean, when was the last time Nebraska had a, a late late year bye week? I mean, they've, or a bye week at all for that matter. I mean, you look at what's happened with the schedules over the last few years. I mean, has Scott Frost had a bye week? Well, Wisconsin game because it got canceled. Oh, last there you year. go. Yeah. Um, that so, was the one. An unexpected buy, yeah. But uh, just because of, you know, crazy events with, you know, game cancellations or whatever it may be, uh, Nebraska's opportunities to get some rest late in the year, uh, they just haven't had it. And that is such a, a – you want to talk about being able to finish and win some of those toss-up games late in the year, just having a, a week off to, to get back physically and mentally is such a huge uh, part of being able to finish. And Nebraska just hadn't had that luxury. So, yes, that is going to be a much – needed advantage on this schedule I, I think frost is a big fan of starting early i mean you kind of can get dialed in right out of the gates you're not kind of easing your way into it you're jumping right in and i think that with this you know the sense of urgency this team needs having a, a week earlier start is you know the, the perfect antidote for what they want well and yeah starting with the big 10 game is not easy but you're starting against a team with a new coaching staff that's picked seventh in the west and then your second big 10 game is against michigan state who's picked seventh in the east so it is, outside of Oklahoma being on the schedule, the most favorable schedule Scott Frost has had, and maybe that's why they were trying to dump Oklahoma yeah. on that schedule. 
Um, but I think getting the Fordham game to follow Illinois, because if they can go down to Champaign and win and then oh, come home and, and get a win against Fordham, and then, you know, they've never won three games in a row at Nebraska under Scott Frost. Crazy. They, have, they haven't done it. I it's be- been years since they won two in a row. So, yeah, winning three in a row is the challenge for Nebraska because they haven't done it under Frost. But I want to hit on the defense here, Robin, as, as we look at it. And I feel like there's not a lot of questions um, about this unit. I mean, you, you kind of know who's in place. I really want to see Kalarovic and, and what he brings. I want to see if Nick Heinrich um, can you know, take a step forward in that inside rotation um, with what they already have. And then Reimer, can he stay healthy? I mean, those three guys, to me, have a chance to be as deep and talented of a group, even without Will Honus. Yeah, and you know, especially listening to Frost talk about Nick Heinrich uh, with just kind of how well he's developed over the course of, of this offseason. I mean, keep in mind, he was a guy that was bouncing around between inside and outside just trying to find his fit. They decided that inside was his, his best long-term spot, and he's thrived since he's kind of established himself there. So uh, they are a legitimate three deep at that spot, and you know, losing Will Honus was a big blow for them uh, just because of his experience, and he played really well last year. I mean, the, the tackle numbers speak for itself, but, I mean, he was the, the quarterback out there. So replicating that leadership is going to be a big part of it, but I think they have the right guys to do it um, in that room. Maybe the, that other corner spot, too, is one of those things that we just don't know for sure. We have a pretty good idea. I mean, I, I think coming out of the spring, Quentin Newsom was the, the front runner there. But obviously Tyreek Johnson joining it. And he's coming off a foot injury, so kind of a similar injury to Marquis Step. Yeah. Um, he should be ready to roll, though. And I, I think the feeling, though, is Newsom has the leg up just because of longevity. Um, but Ch- Tyreek Johnson played snaps for Ohio State. Mm-hmm. And you know he, he just didn't want a starting job, so he left there. Braxton Clark's yeah, back. Clark's in that. And then, you know, Miles Farmer, they referred to him as like a starting safety, mm-hmm. like he's part of the 1.5 group. As well, well. And Deontay Williams at Media Day made sure to point out that he also reps at corner. So, I mean, that is an option for them if worse comes to worse and for whatever reason they can't find a suitable number two. I mean, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility with, us, with the amount that they cross-train to potentially play Deontay at some corner and move Miles Farmer up into one of those starting safety spots. I mean, the good thing is uh, – they have a long time until they play Ohio State, but they will see Oklahoma and mm-hmm. the best quarterback in the country and obviously Big 12 receivers, which are a lot different than most Big 10 teams and how they run and play. Um, so that there's, to me, like two kind of mile marker games for the secondary. Oklahoma, getting your scheme and bodies figured out, and then later in the year when you see Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave at Ohio mm-hmm. State. Yeah, I mean, those are two of the best wide receivers in all of college football. And so, yeah, Oklahoma's going to come right at them, and they're going to have to figure it out quickly uh, in order to keep pace with that. But I think that that's an important mile marker because it is going to force you to figure yourself out in the secondary. And once they can hopefully get to that point, you know, that's going to make life significantly easier for some of those other games. I mean, the, the Oklahoma-Ohio State games are on a different tier, but when you talk about that second tier – I mean, that, that's, I think, where it's really going to be critical for this defense to to truly be the unit we think they can be that could potentially uh, help dictate Nebraska's season. You know, another guy that has to have a big year is Damian Daniels um, at, at the nose. I mean, he's been good for about 15 to 20 snaps a game because of conditioning. And I think when teams see him come in, they try to up-tempo Nebraska because they know that he can wear down. So he's he's really good on the rundowns and the goal line downs. But can they get him to be a more productive player? Because I do think he's an NFL-level draft pick type guy. Mm -hmm. Um, He just needs to be able to go a few more snaps per game, and hopefully they can push him in to the 30-ish snaps per game this year. And they don't want to play these guys 60 snaps apiece. They don't need to. They would rather play their D linemen in that 30 to 40 a piece range. Well, yeah. And especially with the depth they have, they, they, they have the luxury of being able to keep those guys fresh. So yeah, they're not going to need Daniels to suddenly jump to a you know, 50 to 60 snap guy. Uh, I don't know if he'd ever be able to do that just with the way he is physically, but I do know over the course of spring, that was something they talked a lot about was uh, the improvements Damien had made in, in his conditioning. And he knew that in order for him to take his career to where he wanted it to be, he had to stay on the field. He couldn't just be this uh, in and out type guy. Snacks. Exactly. Snacks. And so uh, 
that they they have the luxury of being able to rotate to keep him fresh to where he's not going to get worn down. But that being said, he has to be more of a mainstay in the center of that defense, especially with how good he played when, when, when he's fresh and he's on the field. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we wrap up fall camp discussion here. And I, I want to just briefly to hit on special teams. A couple things I'm interested in. Number one, obviously kickoff. Brendan Frankie or uh, Kellen Meyer. I mean, those two guys, can they get that job short up? Punter, Daniel Cherney, is he the guy or is it Pristop? Um, or is it somebody else we don't even know? Uh, I guess we'll have to see who's on that camp roster. And then kick coverage and punt coverage teams. How many more starters are we going to see out there? I mean, I, I think Nebraska's just got to clean up those units and get yards back there that they they need that they've been losing out on. Well, and they also have uh, the luxury of a whole bunch of young guys that they can actually play without having to worry about their four-game redshirt rule. I mean, you can have fixtures that are very good athletes and very good players on those special teams units. And I think in earlier years, especially once that four-game redshirt rule first came into play, the staff was so focused on it and balancing, you know, who's going to play when and how are we going to use their four games that the the special teams quality suffered because there was no consistency there and you were mixing and matching parts week to week. So I think now that they have this just massive class of under I guess group of underclassmen uh, they'll be able to have some stability there and some high quality athletes that are going to carry the load all right when we come back on the show I'm going to close things up with Brian Munson we'll talk recruiting next you're listening here to the Husker Online show you're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Final segment, Sean Callahan now bringing in Brian Munson, who, you know, you're down in Dallas, Brian, and you're right in the heat of Conference Expansion Central. I'm just curious to get your perspective. You're down in Dallas uh, right between OU and Texas. I mean, w- what's the feel been like down there this week with the big news, essentially, that the college football footprint in the area you, you live in is going to be blown up forever? Yeah, I, and I tell you what, I go, my chiropractor is actually a former UT offensive tackle who played in the league for a few years. It actually went to Lincoln and beat Nebraska, too. His name is Jay Humphrey. Um, and so he had I actually went and saw him on Monday because my back had been jacked up, and and he was pretty blown away by all the talk. But I mean, he kind of he kind of saw things maybe potentially going that way. It's you know that's that's where you know the he's not he wasn't really ever t- truly totally fond of the way the Big Twelve kind of ended up like sitting there. You know, it looked like things were always going to end up taking like that blown apart. We're going to leave in here anyway. Kind of feel with him is what he kind of said to me. Um, so yeah, I, I think though that it was obviously you were not going to take one without the other. That rivalry was too big to go ahead and leave behind. You're going to have to keep that kind of going forward where the red river being played at the cotton bowl every single year or in Jerry's world. Now, you know, that's where, that's where that game needs to, needs to stay. It needs to be, you know, part of the thing in the, in how things are going to look going forward, whether they're staying in the big 12 or they're going to the SEC. Yeah, I think about it, Brian, just from a recruiting perspective, what this is going to do to everybody. I mean, once the Super League establishes, and if, say, the Big Ten doesn't fire back, which I I think they're going to do something, I don't know what the move is, but just the advantage those 16 teams are going to have in head-to-head recruiting battles when you talk about playoff spots, when you talk about, I mean, everything that's going to come with this league, NFL draft picks in the league, et cetera. Yeah, it's going to be pretty wild because, you know, the state of Texas has been a little bit more in play than in previous years. And, and I, I think that there's been the coaching changes in Austin to kind of blame for it. I think that, you know, you got uh, the old boy down there in College Station doing kind of his own thing, but he's always been kind of a Sun Belt guy going to get players, but he is still getting a, a gist of his players from from Texas. But Oklahoma basically treats Texas and the Red River as part of the Texas, you know, part of the Oklahoma in-state kind of recruiting list. So this is where they get a lot of their players. 
LSU, same way, Arkansas, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So now you've got you've grown into this state, making it basically an even larger hotbed for SEC uh, recruiting, making it more difficult for the Big Ten to stay relevant south of the, of the Red River. I think it also takes away, you know, Nebraska's had some recent success in Oklahoma uh, of going and, go, going and getting guys. How is it going to go ahead and fare in the state of Oklahoma when now – LSU, Arkansas, Vanderbilt, Tennessee, whomever can see more relevance over there uh, in in Oklahoma now. If there's if there are guys, and they typically do generate, you know, a few four star type guys every single year that Oklahoma typically is able to go ahead and just land them and add another commitment list. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show as we talk recruiting now with Brian Munson. And speaking of recruiting. It's kind of, as Mike Mattia wrote in his three and out this week, it's kind of last call for recruits week as uh, people are having visitors on. Um, there's a, just one more week that opened up here before fall camps begin. And we did discover Nebraska Bryan's going to have a lot of guys on campus. We know of one, at least 122, but it looks more like the emphasis this week has been placed on priority 2023 guys. I would agree with that. I mean, obviously, the first guy that we that I've already just caught up with, and he's headed off to another visit uh, for Thursday, is Shandavian Bradley. And, and actually, he's a guy I think that we kind of missed that was there for the spring game. Uh, when you go back to his Twitter, I mean, he was very open about him being there in Lincoln. I don't remember covering him before, uh, but this is a big guy. I mean, he's six four, two hundred and ten pound outside linebacker from Platte City, Missouri. Uh, he's he's got some really nice offers so far with Iowa State and Indiana and Colorado, et cetera. So <clears throat> I I think I think that you know you start looking with him and how they're kind of setting it up. You know Nebraska is clearly very interested in looking. I think you know in the in the 500 mile radius that we kind of traditionally call it, but I think also just kind of more on that defensive side of the football. I think Nebraska is still very much trying to to, to find an identity and they're struggling to at that outside linebacker position, the 2023 group could really allow them to break out of that. There, there are a number of, of, of outside linebackers in that area that Nebraska is, is in on and in on early. And, and Bradley loved his visit today, but the, the list continues throughout this week about guys that are, that are coming in here before basically, like Mike said, you know, things will come to a close before the start of the of fall camp. Yeah, and and Brian, uh, Mike is, or I'm sorry, uh, Nebraska's trying to get offensive linemen still, and we we mentioned Valen Erickson and kind of where they're at. I mean, do you do you get the sense there's a push to get an old lineman before camp starts, or is that just an unrealistic realistic expectation right now? I just don't think it's a realistic expectation. I, I think Makula and, and Pastoria are, are are fine waiting it out, and, and reading Valen Erickson's comments to to like Edgy Tim on Sunday. It's it's incredibly clear that he is totally comfortable waiting out there to take official visits this fall. He's he's gonna take three unofficial trips though. However, during this one last opening with going to Nebraska, going to Missouri, and going to Cincinnati, so he's gonna hit those three schools that he's gonna go ahead and roll back up again, go through fall camp, and then reevaluate where he's gonna take his official visits this fall. So. This is going to get kind of interesting for him. I know that before he was talking about going to Tennessee at the end of June, that visit didn't take place. So at least there's some question about whether or not that, that visit took place. Um, and, and I think with Makula and Pastoria, I think that they're just kind of biding their time. I, I, I don't. I think that you've kind of got this group of, of guys that are kind of out there that are willing to go ahead and just let it ride, at least for now, because they feel like the opportunities are at least the musical chairs. The song's not going to stop playing for a little bit. And they could potentially be holding out for somebody that's, that's slow playing them right now or just or – just, because Valen Erickson, you're getting some of that. He's, he's hearing from Oklahoma and from Ohio State. Why would Oklahoma and Ohio State have any reason to go ahead and reach out to Valen Erickson when they got all these other guys, of course, that, that, that they're in on? It's, it's to kind of get them just to kind of – slow down, tap the brakes. We know that we couldn't play with you against you at some point. Just go ahead and, and think about this a little bit and we'll just kind of keep you warm. And there's really, it's kind of this dishonorable thing when it comes to recruiting, but I really don't feel like there's any really type of true interest from either one of those two two teams in him. Brian, something else that we were asked a lot about in the chat, and, and it's been a question we've been asked all summer 
Nebraska with this eight commits, and I, I know it's not true because there's other teams just like Nebraska, but some fans in our, our site think that Nebraska, why are they the only team not taking very many recruits? Why are they the only team that their numbers are messed up? But Iowa is sitting in the same boat, and you can go down the line. You know, not It's not the norm, but there's still a good chunk of Power 5 teams that are going to have much, much lower numbers in a normal year. Absolutely, and I think that you've got this kind of cycle that you did your best to kind of, you know, you kind of need a graph and and an easel and be face-to-face with people, you know, when it comes to kind of talking about the way these numbers are working out. It's Nebraska's had a a couple, if not three, you know, fairly large or decent-sized classes, and then all of a sudden you get to that point where the offsetting side of that is is that when you get to class number four – it's going to be smaller. It's just you cannot continue to support the classes coming in at 23, 25, 27 guys. The 85 rostered number just doesn't support it. The math is not there. So so when you're looking at the opposite side of getting 20-plus classes three times in a row, the opposite side of that is you're going to take less than 20 kids. And, and it's one of those things where also so the super seniors then carry over and take away even more spots from it. So – Look, I, I, and you and I both agree. I, I, I think we would say that the NCA has not done a great job with, uh, or any job, I guess I should say, with trying to find ways to work with these schools to help these players out, particularly in the 2022 class. It, it sets up potentially for some really long, hard looks at, at people being very upset. Is there possible lawsuits? Is there possible damages? Is there anything else potentially else on the line that somebody else can go back and, and, and exclaim to say, this eliminated my son from contention, et cetera, and get really, really ugly. But that that's exactly what's happened. It's gone, you're on the, the heels of three bigger classes. You're getting that smaller class, and you get the super seniors to figure in with the math. That's how you get to your small number of, of kids for this class. Well, it's going to be a busy weekend, not only with fall camp opening, but we'll have plenty of updates on the different visitors that are on campus. So make sure you log on to HuskerOnline.com. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.